Hello everyone and welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast Season 4. Thank you all very much for downloading our show today. Wherever you are right now in the world listening, I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, this is a series of in-depth chats between myself and some of Swimming Australia and Queensland Swimming's best coaches to get an insight into what makes these mentors and motivators so good at what they do and what's led them to the top of our sport. Hopefully, their stories and philosophies resonate with you, and we can all walk away from these discussions with a little bit more clarity when it comes to the road to success as a swimming coach at any level. Take your ball. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two one-hundreds in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Joining us today on the show is a man widely regarded as one of the sharpest minds in our business across the world of swimming and not just here in Australia. He is a coach that has seen success at every level, including the pinnacle at the Olympic Games. And we're extremely fortunate. He's given up his time today to talk to us about all things 100 metre freestyle. It's a very big welcome to Brent Best. Brent, how you going, mate? Well, I'm well, Robbie. Hey, what are some of the most important aspects of, of sprint training? Some of the most important aspects in sprint training. Um, geez, I think we've, we've talked about a lot of them. I, I think for me, uh, I think modelling of your race is critical, number one. Um, I, 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 and I might be getting off track a little bit, but the reason I think that it's important is that I see a lot of people doing fast 25s. Mm-hmm. And probably the 25s that I see behind the blocks, lots of people are doing them fast. Mm-hmm. I'd say very few people are doing those 25s the way they want to start the race. Yep. Yeah. The biggest problem I see when coaches get, they, they sit in the stands or they sit on pool and they go, bloody hell, they rushed the first 25. They didn't get their stroke rate right. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's all you've been practicing. <laughs> yeah. You've, 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 you've made them so good at that that that's all they do. Whereas I think that the best coaches um, find a way, whether it's through practice or discussion or whatever, uh, however they get to it, they find a way for their athletes to have control in the first 25. Mm-hmm. So for me, training to model your race is super important. If you if you want a fast 50, you can't have it rehearsed the way you don't want it to be raced. Yeah. That, that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Like it's just common sense. Yeah. Why would you rehearse something opposite to the way you want it to race when, you know, and you see, you see a kid race on, on the weekend and they rip through the first 25 and then they die through the back because of it and the coach during the week says they've got to get fitter, so they rip through more 50s during the week to try to get fitter. Mm-hmm. When the problem really existed in the, the execution of the race, which really wasn't rehearsed. So I like to rehearse elements of the race, whether it be the first 25 into the turn, the back end, um, which brings me to the quest point of, of back end training, which is really, for me, back end, front end training is, is where they're a little bit rested because that's what happens in the front end, and back end training is where they're hurting. Yeah. So if you can put if and people are telling me how they're doing fifties at back end pace, but 
it's only back in pace if they're under a specific level of fatigue that, that mimics what they're doing in racing. Mm. So we're either focusing on front-end speed or we're, front end, uh, we're, we're focusing on back-end speed, but it's about front-end and back-end execution under specific um, uh, stresses. And it's just like people talk about front-end speed. We're doing sprinting. Well, your athlete's not, not rested enough to produce speed, so you're not really producing the, the, this, the state that they're in as much. Um, you may be doing speed, but you're not doing front-end speed. So for me, it's front-end and back-end speed related, and that was the way I approached pretty much all of my quality work with my sprinters. It had an element of front and an element of back, and if I was going to arrive at the back-end speed, it was going to be because I'd, I'd beaten up on the front first. Mate, that makes a whole lot of sense to me as well. And, you know, you touched on there with, with racing. Should young athletes be competing in just sprint events or, you know, middle and distance events as well? Oh, I like the idea that they're doing everything. Um, I, I, I think that they can get fairly precious and the talent that gets can get really precious because they get almost addicted to doing the things that they love to do mm. rather than the things that they um, – and the things that they're good at and then they won't approach things that they're not so good at, and then they're restricted in their ability to learn it. And it comes back to a Dweck thing, Carol Dweck, where she talks about a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. We can reinforce in the talented athlete uh, a fixed mindset by encouraging them to only do the things that they're good at. And then we, we, we complain about that they won't experiment or they won't do this and they won't do that. Yet we've spent the age group reinforcing that and enabling that problem with our age groupers. So, um, so they've got to be able to do what they're not good at and they've got to be, they've got to love being better at stuff so you present them with a problem and you give the whole group the same problem it might be i used to like doing a thousand kick for time mm-hmm. um with my age group squad um back when i was an age group coach and we do a thousand swim for time and um a bunch of other things as well and and, and there are versions of that with, with the sovac squad as well but uh i i didn't want them to to, to have a challenge that they didn't feel like they could overcome uh, even if it was outside their comfort zone. I think that's a mindset that we have to establish in our swimmers because, you know, our, our, our programs may be the island that that exists on because they're getting it's less likely that they're going to be getting challenged with things that they don't like at school. For me, it's less likely they're going to be challenged with things they don't like at home. And, and definitely with social media, they're getting what they like and what they want rather than potentially what they need all the time. Mm. So we, we need to be the, the guys that stand up and, 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 and you can sell it because these kids love a challenge. Yeah. You know, they'll do anything. To, they'll play a game around anything. They're competitive kids, but you've got to give them the challenge and you've got to make it competitive and you've got to, you know, you've, you've got to oh, challenge them in the things that they're, they're not good at and compare them to the, the guys that have done well. And, you know, it, 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 was, it, it was always, you know, there, there were times I remember when, when we came off the back of even Maggie going 47-1 and I, I ribbed him about James Roberts Having uh, having the same last twenty five feet, or maybe fractionally faster than him, and mm. you know, just just gave him that rather than told him how wonderful he was for the whole time. It was supported his confidence, yeah. But it was also about you know providing the the, the challenge of you're not quite as good as as that as I'd like you to be. Um, let's find a way to do better. And they don't like getting beaten, so you can't go crazy over the top with it. But you do. They do need to be good. And, and have the mindset of wanting to be better at the things they're not good at. And getting back to a whole lot of points from before, if you can show them that being aerobic or being better at 400, which means being better technically, is part of the, the game and makes them faster, that's great. Or you might just say, okay, we're putting the squad into three teams for this meet. 
and um, we're putting everybody in a 100, 200, or 400, and for every second you get off your PB, you um, you get a point for your team, mm. and don't explain anything to them, but just make them really want to do it for their team. And, you know, their, their biggest point of improvement is probably going to be in their 400, so you set a game up for them where they can really win by doing a great job in 400, even if they don't love the event. You know, which we're talking about football players who are sprinters, oh, sorry, swimmers who are sprinters, but they can also run around a football field for two hours and, and love it and, and keep going until, you know, the streetlights come on and they have to come inside because they're just competitive kids. Yeah. So you can make it that way. Absolutely. And you touched on, um, James, in the, in the 100 freestyle there. Could, could you break that race down for us? Like what, what did James need to hit in 100 metres and, and how did you break the race down for him? I, I love the question, what do they need to hit? Because we never really talked about it. Uh, we just trained about being better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought that, and he was at his best when he wasn't trying to hit a time. Mm-hmm. He was at his best where he was trying to get his race right. And for, for me, the race was, and I like, uh, we, just, we, I mean, we discussed this that many times, but for me, the race was first 25, um, light hands, low drag and trail the legs. Mm-hmm. And that, that was his phrase. Second 25 was build your speed. Uh, um, to strong into the wall, attack the wall with speed, uh, hit the turn um, with speed, couple of strong kicks, first six strokes the way you want them to be and then and then start to accelerate and then in the last 25 um, get into full rhythm, not muscle it, but, but stay strong and long and fast. Yeah. And, and that was obviously you, you said there, uh, those, that some of those were his phrases. How important was that to have – James and, you know, other coaches, athletes have input on it and, and have their own little imprint in on the race plan? Um, absolutely key. They, they've, they've got to be part of it. They've got to feel – you know what? They might not have to be part of it. Part of it. They've got to feel like they're part of it. Mm. Um, and they've got to feel like it's theirs because that ownership uh, gives a level of investment and a level of belief and a level, this is mine, this is the way that I do it. Mm-hmm. James's, James's phrase was – and I, I also learn from your kids – when you have that sort of relationship where they can say, well, if, I can say, well, well, what were you thinking in the first 25? Because that was great. Oh, I just think about trailing my legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that input allows you to learn and then put that back into training and also appreciate that, you know. I mean, they're humans and they, they, it, it's, it's, it's a human, basic human need to be competent at something and you increase their competence by knowing that it's their plan and it's their input and it's, and it's what they do. Uh, then that's that's absolute key to the execution that we want. So um, you've got to be able to listen to your athletes, and I believe to have a relationship with them that they can explain things to you, or even disagree with you and say I don't agree with that. Um, to the point where you've got to be able to take that on and say, okay, well I'm I'm out here on pool deck, they're feeling something. Mm. Now they and we mightn't agree on, but they're feeling something in the water there, uh, and, and also to the point where, and it's getting a little bit off track of what you're talking about, but. I think it's super important that athletes realise that we're human as well and we can make mistakes yeah. and we can apologise to them and which allows them to ha- to apologise to us, which builds our relationship. They can say, oh, sorry, boys, Friday afternoon and we haven't got any speed. That's because I really probably hitched too hard on that aerobic session on, mm-hmm. on Wednesday and it ended up being anaerobic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's my fault. Let's try again in the morning. Yeah. Now that, I wouldn't do that with age groupers so, as much, but the more your open athletes get, I think that's a key to transitioning into open athletes to have a relationship, again, where you don't pander but you recognise that they have a they have a level of input and and it's, it might be a perception of input, but that perception's critical. Mm. 
in, in open swimming. And you're also recognising them as, as people and as adults and, and of, of them being, you know, fairly intelligent as well and not sort of talking down to them, I guess. Absolutely right. And I think that's where we, we've got to adjust to this generation um, because I, I hear a lot that they haven't got a, a great attention span, that they, you know, they're, 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 sometimes that they're not as switched on. But then, then I look at them play, they'll play, you know, they tell me about a, a game that they play and, you know, hour and a half in, there's some bloke hiding behind a rock and if they don't hit them, then they, they die. Yeah. Um, you know, so these guys can focus, but it's about when they are engaged and when it is theirs. Mm. So my coaching has probably changed um, with that rather than giving them a drill, I'll now ask them to fix a problem with a drill. And then they, that drill then and that solution belongs to them and... My goal is not to teach them what's wrong. My goal is to retain that information. So if, if it's theirs and they own it, then they're more likely to retain it through to Wednesday, Thursday. If I teach them something and it's mine, then, then it's not going to be retained and then there's no success at all. Mm. Yeah, great point. And I, I want to bring it back to just race-specific for a second. Do you, do you feel there's any key segments in a race, you know, starts, breakout, front-end speed, back-end speed? Um, and, and how do you, you know put that to each well how much time sorry do you put to each mate I, i'm i'm massive on the back end of a race mainly because if you look at the amount of time we're swimming at the front versus the back um it's jesus close to two-thirds mm-hmm. once we've dived in we break out most guys break out at you know they can it starts five and a half to six seconds they drop into the turn they, in james example he, he would go 22 seconds and six of that was a six of that was a start Mm-hmm. So he's 16 seconds swimming on the on the back end, and he'd break out after not very much time on the breakout, maybe a second and a half, and he'd be swimming 24 and a half on the way back. So it's 16 versus 23 seconds, and it may maybe 60 percent to 40 percent. But there's so much more swimming in the back end, uh, and I, I think that you know it, what we do in the front end, people talk about having a bad back end um, and not having capacity to a back end. If you haven't got a great back end, then or you can't finish the back end. If you take away fitness as a component and just look at the race, it's because something has happened in the front end to mean they haven't got they haven't spread their en- the available energy properly across the race. Absolutely. So uh, for me, it's it's back end. Back end back end is number one, but it's also about looking at your swimmers and and where they're missing. Back end wasn't a problem for me when when James turned up because he had I don't know if he he barely broke in twenty four seconds mm. and had a fantastic almost an even split negative split race. So my job was to improve his speed, which means changing his timing because his stroke rate was 42 to 43. Yeah. And you can't give away. And that's cycles. People forget about that when they're talking stroke rate. That's 42 to 43 cycles. So that's um, 84 arms a minute. And when you're talking about 84 strokes a minute, you can't afford to give that much head, head start to someone who might be going uh, like a 50-stroke rate or 100 strokes a minute. Mm. We talk about uh, giving away a length start. We're basically saying, okay, well, you take this many strokes and I'll see if I can catch up. Yeah. So for him, the problem wasn't the back end. So it was addressing the timing and changing from a stroke that was probably more resembling catch up to a more of an open timing without without wrecking his stroke. So he ended up racing it uh, when he went 47-1. He, went, um, he was at 49 stroke rate average across the race. Um, I think top was 50, bottom was maybe 48. Um, but once we got the speed, we had to then keep working on the back end. Uh, I think to his to to what later in his career, he was his timing was so high up that that 
he put too much energy in the front end and then lost the back end and really struggles to go 24 anymore through the back where at one point we were talking about going 23 through the back end mm. um, because I felt he was capable of doing that. So um, it, it really is about looking at where your kids are missing time. If you've got a kid that can't start and can't turn then and they're a second slower on each than their competitors, then they're missing two seconds of their race. So, hey, let's address that. It's what you talked about before in getting to the best bang for your buck mm. and getting them to understand and invest in, in that and putting your priorities where they are um, going to be most most important. And it's a fine line, isn't it? I mean, as you said there, you know, when, when James came, obviously his um, back end was already, you know, pretty good. And so you had to sort of focus on the front end. But you also don't want to take away from the back end and, and make what his – uh, strength will no. turn that into a weakness. So, how do you find that balance? And and is it, um, you know, is it very uh, hard to make sure you're not, you know, sacrificing one for the other? Uh, it, it can be. Uh, for me, the front end work was less physiology than it was about timing and technique. Okay. So I could change the timing and technique and keep the sets of of a similar of a similar ilk, and his speed would increase. Because he is swimming at a originally it was I think he got to a forty seven stroke rate when he won his first worlds in twenty eleven, um, and eventually got up to forty nine. I think his best swimming was probably a, 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 in in at, at that forty seven stroke rate, mm-hmm. but that would produce the speed that I needed, and also would produce uh, the change in physiology that I needed because at, to swim at a higher stroke rate, you you you, you burn up more juice. And if you burn up more juice, then you're more tired for your back end work. Yep. Uh, and your back end's also got to improve because your timing changes and you can you know, fit in more strokes without sort of compromising your length. So um, you don't need – I didn't feel like I needed to compromise the back end because we were still, still in, physiologically still doing a lot of back end work. Yep. Um, the way I changed the front end was by changing the technique and changing the timing. I've heard it recently some people say that – um, so that you, you, you can change length in a swimmer, but you don't change stroke rate. Mm-hmm. That's that's absolutely not my experience at all. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think when Jess started with me, she was she she would race a a four hundred free. She would race at a thirty nine stroke rate, and she ended up racing forty eight forty nine uh, in her um, in her races. Um, you know when she went and went eight hundred meters. Yeah. So um, geez, all all my guys change rate because that was what we needed to do to change tempo to go quicker so you just it's harder to do but yeah i'm, I'm going to say to answer your question that the change was technical mm-hmm. more than it was changing the physiology yeah. and also i mean at the time robbie i didn't know him so i had to learn him yeah and i made mistakes along the way with him but i was kind of watching to make sh- to, to try to work out whether what i was doing was working and then i would monitor that test it out, check his stroke rate, check his stroke length, use all our, our, or our efficiency monitors to make sure that we were still on the right track and then use racing as feedback to inform training so that we would learn that we were going in the right direction. And then if racing wasn't quite right, we'd maybe make some adjustments to make sure that it was. Yeah. And as you mentioned there too, mate, you, you were still doing uh, a fair bit of back-end work anyway. So you weren't sort of sacrificing that for one. You were still working on that. You were just starting to... Uh, figure out the front end and, and how to make it uh, more effective. Um, make- Absolutely. In, in just just on that, in, yeah. in unpacking it, as I'm kind of doing, because you know you talk a bit about it, but probably not to the point where we go this this in depth. Yeah. The the the, the blocks and the periodization was definitely much more. 
early in the season where we were fresh, we worked on the front end, mm-hmm. got the got the timing and the speeds where we wanted and the efficiencies where we wanted to be. And there were probably definitely more focus on the back end through the middle to the back end of the season before we opened up and freshened up a little bit. Yeah. So um, it was it it we also because you can't do everything all the time. I don't believe. Because you'll compromise something. Mm-hmm. So if there's something that you want to focus on, you focus on it more so, and, every, and and other things become a secondary, a secondary focus, and then you can bring in the other things. So if we're talking periodization, whether it be periodization of skill, as in the skill and the technical periodization of energy systems and 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 loads, uh, there would definitely be a focus on on speed earlier in a block and getting the speed up and allowing that to happen. And then once they could produce a certain amount of speed later in the season, loading that speed, uh, when they could produce all that, loading it and making them repeat it. So probably front end early, back end late, if I'm going to summarise on that. It mentioned something there in terms of, uh, you know, hitting certain speeds. And it's always interesting to me, uh, for, for swimmers, certainly maybe towards the back end of a, of a program or, you know, uh, maybe even towards competition. How do you deal with athletes who may not be hitting, you know, those times that, you know, you are after, and especially coming up to, you know, big meets where you want them really confident and, you know, puffing their chest out and, all right, I'm ready to go. It doesn't always happen that way. We don't always get those times that you're chasing. How, as a coach, how do you work with that or work around that <laughs> you have the that's where you got to be a salesman yeah um that's 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 a crucial time uh, and i mean the the, the the classic example is a taper hole mm-hmm. where they fall into a hole and you know they can fall apart mentally as well uh i think that you've got you have your first one and then you explain to them what it's all about and then you make sure you explain that in a calm moment what this is all about and then you, you see them come up which they normally do after a taper hole and then the next time one comes along, you say, oh, that's fantastic. This is happening. Now it's all uphill from here. It's going to go better. Yeah. Um, secondly, I'd like to say my focus wasn't on time. It was just about being better. But if you're in that part of the season where your times aren't improving, um, you've got to look at why. If, you, if, you're, if your guys aren't going quicker, is it, is it drag? Is it propulsion? Is it the balance of your program? Which is easily explained to the athletes. Say, look, we know we're in this working phase at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you were going 24-5 a month ago with, with, 32, with 32 strokes or whatever it is, um, and now you're going 25-5, but look at the fatigue you've got, and this isn't our focus, and now you haven't lost your skill, and you haven't lost your this, and you haven't lost that. And, and if you're smart as a coach, I think you've got your markers in place to show them that there are other things that are right or that there are other things that aren't quite right. We, we would do a set of descending hundreds in our warm-up and when James was going well, he would before a race he'd go fifty eight at about a one fifty six heart rate, mm-hmm. and uh, and if he wasn't wasn't going well, he'd be going one hundred four one hundred five. Yeah. Now if we're leading into warm up and he's going one hundred four one hundred five at a one fifty six heart rate, I know that there's nothing wrong with him. Pretty much, he hasn't lost any talent. He's just fatigued. Yeah. So if I said he might. Today might be your day for speed because you're a bit fatigued. We either do the speed on the other day or we push through. And then as we go through our efficiency, you say, oh, mate, you're a bit off today. You're taking three extra strokes for that time or you're, you're two seconds faster. You know, you haven't got your speed today. So what you can do today, you can really focus on your technique because you don't need to be distracted by your times. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're getting something out of the technique because they don't need to, they don't need to rush. But if you say, oh, that's not fast enough, <coughs> excuse me, you need to try harder and they rip and tear. That's the points at which you can lose them. You calm them, 
You tell them they haven't lost any talent. You show them, you know, you explain to them and, and, and hopefully you've had a meeting with them or with the group to show them this phase is going to be a bit more challenging. And you say, well, this is what you look like in a challenge. What are you going to do in a challenge situation? Are you going to drop away from the technique that you eventually want to race with? Or are you going to let this state or this fatigue or or are you going to be in a mental state where you're going to move yourself further away from where you want to be? So taking it away from the time, take them to the mental state that they'd love to be in. And at one stage, hopefully, as a coach, you've talked about how well they deal with things when when things get tough. Mm. And, also- and if you have, you say that, okay, things are tough at the moment. How are you going to approach it? What do you want to get out of it? What are your controllables? Mm. What can you control here and what you can't? You can't control your time. Yeah. You can't control that state, but you can appro- control your approach to it. And you can also control your technique to a point. I mean, when a fatigue is hard, harder, but they can still control their technique. That's a great uh, – I, I love that analogy of controllables and not worrying about what you can't control. I think that applies to, to life as well. Um, mate, how much of yes, – should skill work, sorry, be implemented into sprint training? Are we talking skill – you're talking about starts and turns skill or are you talking about stroke skill, Robbie? I would – Guess we're talking about uh, starts and turns and and your underwater work and. Yep, super important. Um, super super important. Uh, if you're uh, Caleb Dressel starting at five zero, probably if you're more of a natural jumper. I don't think he is a much more um, athletic jumper than some of potentially some of our guys. But he's got a huge vertical leap, doesn't he? No, he's got a massive vertical leap. He's just good at that. So there are aspects there at the start that you might have to work with with your guys that you wouldn't have to work with with a Caleb Dressel. Mm. Um, he's, he's got that naturally. He's also naturally good underwater. So you would do what you need to do to facilitate that to make sure that that's sharp and trained in. But because it's natural, you don't have to teach it as a skill. Whereas we've got some of our guys that can't get their shape right off the blocks. They can't get their entry right. And underwater, they're technically not very – they're not great. And in their physio screenings, which relate directly to their underwater work, they're all and, and their their time on the blocks, they're also not great. So, if it's if it's going to take a teaching of that, where you need to teach them how to be great underwater, or how to be better underwater, how to use their tail better, uh, and then speak to your physio about how to make them move better and approach your physio with the problems you've got with their underwater or the problems you've got with the way they move off the blocks. And, and, and they're not getting in the right shape, um, as in the shape that they need to be biomechanically to, to produce, you know, the, the, the better dive. Mm. Um, I'd be, I'd give, I'm giving that a lot of attention if it's letting me down. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, I think, with underwater. I, I I hear some coaches talk about underwater, and I say, well, well you know, we're trying to improve their underwater. What are you doing? We're doing more underwater. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's like saying, okay, my freestyle's, not very good. My kids' freestyle is not very good. What are you doing? Oh, we're doing more rubbish freestyle. Yeah. It's just not the way that I would improve. You know, you, you're going to make them tolerate it better and you're going to make them be able to be better hypoxically in that part of your brain that says, my God, I've got to get up, doesn't happen anymore, then they're going to be able to stay underwater better. But are they going to be better underwater kickers or are they just going to be better staying underwater longer? I think we're dealing with two different things. So yeah. we've got to teach them upswing. We've got to teach them posterior chain. We've got to teach them how to kick from under their ribs or under their armpits or wherever they're most capable from and, ex- and really explore, especially with age groups, is explore how far you can get in 10 kicks, what distance per kick means, why somebody 
and why somebody is better underwater than they are and why somebody is beating you even though you're a quicker swimmer and they're beating you on your skills. It's a horrible thing to happen. Mm. So I think it's, you do need to spend specific time on it and that's where your camera or your iPhones or whatever can be fantastic for filming your turns and starts uh, and using GoPros as well. Hey, what about executing under pressure? And obviously, you know, one mistake in a sprint event, a sprint event is detrimental. How much time, you know, did you have with your athletes performing skills or you know race segments under pressure and under race conditions? Uh, as much as I could. Um, we, if, if we, I'd like to put training under race stresses, like we talked about mm-hmm. specific race stresses, and if it wasn't directly related to the way they wanted to execute, execute a race, I'd be asking them if that's what they want to do with a race. Uh, I'd be putting them under stresses, so I'd, I'd make them fatigued the way they felt the way before they hit their last 50 and then less execute the last 50. Mm. I'd get them fatigued like they would be going into a turn and let's hit a turn. Uh, I, you know, we, we do time trials before they got up and raced. When we did quality, I would try to push seats um, behind the block so they'd have to sit down in order if we're doing time trials not just get up and do it they'd have to sit there for five or ten minutes put the goggles on take a breath hear people go before them hear the race analysis so to get as close as, uh, to that as i could in training mm. but in racing uh I, th- I think on the day you need to be aware of your skills but you can't be excessively focused on them because if you haven't got them by that stage you're not going to get them when you're trying to swim at the speed you've never swum before mm. So you can't be excessively focused. They need to be automatic. But in lead-up races, it might be, okay, what we're going to do today, I'd like you to swim this speed here or we're not going to worry about the speed, but I, I would like you to swim your race this way. We're going to change the race plan, but I want you focused on your turn or I want you focused on your first 25 being lighter than normal or I want you going faster into your turn or I want you focused on your turn and your breakout only. Just get the race right the way you want or, or get get the – the first 25 crews build into the wall and give me a fast back end with a turn that you want to do when you're in the Olympic final. Mm. Um, if, if we look at someone like a, like Jess, we used to have some fun, which probably frustrated the other guys in the other race. We'd do 50 metres because it, when she was in hard training, it was very hard to produce specific race speeds. Mm. So she would go 50 at race stroke rate and 50 easy. And the 50 easy would be light, but she'd still be trying to um, – She'd be trying to – we'd do a broken um, 200 and a 400 by going every second 50. Um, but in the every second 50, she'd come up with a really, really lightning fast turn. She'd get a breakout right. She'd roll into a turn better. If I'd given her the straight 400, I don't think that I would have got or, or would have really got out of her the seven good turns that I needed. Seven turns? One, two, three. Yeah, seven turns I needed. <laughs> um, but doing it this way – I got every turn where there was intent was her best turn. Mm. So we, we play with racing in during the season to just make it, to try to bring it to automatic so that it, it, it had already been implanted in a fairly stressful situation, but not under full stress. And then semifinals, the same thing, mate. Just, you know, just, just control your race, hit the turn the way you want to hit it, um, and then just, just keep your stroke long and strong, but don't, don't use all your bickies, something like that could be in a semi-final, mm. which is sometimes why the semi-finals are sometimes probably better executed than the finals because the, it was a bit bit more process-focused and then the distractions uh, of the outcome impacted the ability to execute the processes. Mm. 
Well, we had a perfect example of that uh, last year at the World Champs, too, with Clyde Lewis and his, his 200 in the semi-final. And he, he blitzed yes. it and then wasn't yes. able to, to back that up in, into the final. Um, yeah, abs- yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, that, 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 that semi was a great race. And it's a different thing with the pressure of an outcome. Mm. When um, when you don't have it, but Clyde uh, did a very good job with that race, and um, you know I, I, I'm excited by his ability to do that, mm. uh, honestly. And um, you know, with a coach like Dean, if you know you've got that ability, and Dean's one of the best salesmen in the world, so I ask Eskimos um, <laughs> to have that ability to be able to do that, um, and know you've got an athlete with that ability. He, he, we've seen things from Clyde in the big arena that we potentially didn't know that he could do and he may or may not have surpassed what Dean thought he could do either, but geez, not many, not many blokes faster than that in the world now. So I'd, I'd want to be in that position rather than not. Mate, we touched on it a little bit before in terms of race plans, but we've brought it up again slightly here with, you know, performing skills and, and all that sort of stuff under race fatigue and under race conditions in terms of yourself you know, before a race with, with your athletes. Have you fallen um, prey, I guess, to, to over-coaching and talking too much? I know for myself that's still something I'm learning to do with at the moment, you know, with sometimes just saying less and giving a few key points and then leaving it at that. Have you ever had any, you know, especially in your younger years as a coach, any examples of where you probably over-spoke and over-coached? Mate, as you can hear, that I don't mind a chat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind talking about swimming either. So it is something that I have to be very, very aware of with my coaching. Mm. Uh, I did definitely early on talk way too much and provide way too much uh, information to my swimmers, and there was a bit of paralysis by overanalysis. Mm. Um, but from me, and then and telling them what you know, what they more than what they needed to, more than what they needed to hear, and you know, I, I know that it's something that I. You know, so was, with Sato, we talked about a lot the information that they, that they required to swim fast, and um, I've definitely taken that on. Um, I, I think we've we've got to pay attention to what the athlete needs to hear to execute the way they want to execute. Now, that means we sit in a meeting and we explain their race profile to them in a calm state, and they need to hear that. But if we're about they're about to go off to a race. Um, we need to know what they need to hear then as well. And what they don't need to hear is the six things we want them thinking about because <laughs> we don't want them thinking about six things. Yeah. But a coach will cover off everything that they need to do, which actually decreases the chance of them doing it. Yeah. So I absolutely have done that, mate. There's no doubt. And, you know, one of the things I was asked the other day, I was asked about thing, one thing I would do if I went back to um, to tap myself on the shoulder as a, as a like a coach mentor, I would uh, tell myself to shut up. <laughs> Just shut up. You know, shut up and trust them. Yeah. Because if I've done the job I need to do, then I should be able to tell my athletes, well, nothing. I should be able to, you know, my car breaks down and they have to do it and they can do the job off their own back if I've done my job properly because my job is to lead them to the point where they can do it without me. Mm. Uh, And if I haven't done that, I haven't done my job. So at the end, my race, I liked my race, pre-race to be, okay, just stand up behind the blocks and, have that frame of mind that you need to do to execute the things that you have practiced so many times. Yeah. And if, if I was to that point where I was ready to do that, then we were good. Because all, because at the end of the day, the, the main difference between execution and not in a race is mindset. It's not you can't change, you can't get any fitter, you can't change what they've done, you can't make their turn any better. But if they're not in the right frame of mind, they will miss their turn. They don't miss their turn because they mean to. They don't miss their turn 
They don't change their ability to turn. They don't lose their ability to turn or start or execute a, get a, get a race right. But their confidence in themselves and their mindset and their calmness and getting the right balance between calmness and activation allows them to execute the things that you practice. If you haven't practiced enough, they can't get it right. But you, you only arrive on race day with what you've got mm. and you need to be able to enhance that with the right frame of mind that you know is going to give you the best result. So if they're on frame of mind and everyone else is on outcome, then you can beat some kids that were more talented than you. And that's a, for, for me, if there's any coaches listening, and I hope that there might be one or two. Um, <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, otherwise, we, we spend an hour having a good chat. Uh, then that, that's super important. And that's the way you beat kids that are, that are, that are more talented that, that do lose it. Because you have, if you have a look at a race, whether it be a state title or a nationals or an Olympics, most people in the race are going to get something wrong. Mm. And if you get less things wrong than the person next to you, you can beat people who are more talented than you. But if you get the race wrong because your mindset isn't right and you're focused on the wrong things or as a coach you told your athletes too much to focus on, you can actually take away from their ability to execute a race. And if you feel like you need to tell them all that stuff or you are working on their turn in the, in the warm-up, then you've got to go back and have a look for me at your program and, and with the 16 to 20 hours a week you've had for the last 52 weeks, how you haven't found time to fix it there or even notice that it's wrong. Mm. Mate, great, great advice. Uh, last question for you. What are, you know, a few other suggestions for, for coaches out there um, on developing sprinters within their program? Probably the best advice on sprinting that I could give them is watch. Take some time to watch your swimmers. Because there's so much that we miss because it is a fine art, you mentioned it earlier, that we that they can make one mistake and the race can be over. Mm-hmm. They can overcook it early and they pay later in the race. Now they make one mistake and it can cost them two or three seconds in the last 25, some of them. So watch your athletes. Know the things that are going – know the things that you've got to get right for them. And whether that be knowing them because you're learning them, because you're watching and you're working with them and your your relationship and your understanding is developing, or by talking to people who have worked in those events and can work with your athletes. We're very lucky in in coaching that, and I think particularly up here where most coaches will give you all the time in the world to work with with each other athletes and, and give you advice. And that's just not from a like our point of view is from in Queensland, but most of the coaches around the place. Mm. Um, find some people that know and find out the, the key elements of what they did and, and learn as much as you can. Um, so, so so learn and watch if you're developing sprinters, especially if you haven't done a lot of it. Uh, I remember what I learned from, from Stefan from coming in. I, I, I learned how much I'd been restricting my athletes because I thought I knew what I was doing. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't know as much as I, I, I thought I did, and I didn't know the limits to which I could push my athletes, uh, and he pushed them to levels I didn't think was possible. Um, so put yourself in an environment where you can learn, actively make that happen and don't wait for it to come to you, and just be in a position where you can watch and learn and observe your athlete and make sure you're on the same page with it. Um, and, and then you can, if you can both get things right and wrong in the journey, and it can be a journey where you both grow. But if you're not watching, you're not observing, then you're not talking to the athlete, and then your reflection is diminished because you haven't watched them, and then you can't fix what was wrong, and then your planning isn't informed, and then you plan the wrong stuff. <laughs> so it all starts back there for me. From watching. 
Mate, that, that is, in watching. Yeah, that is great advice. And I think it's a perfect way to, to finish us up today, mate. I, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much for agreeing to be a part of uh, this series of podcasts. Let us all sit under your learning tree here for a bit, mate. Mm. And I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've been taking notes as you've been talking. So I don't know if that's professional or not, but I'm still <laughs> doing it anyway. Um, and, and I hope, you know, the chat wasn't too bad for you either. But, you know, once again, thank you very much. Robbie, it's been a tremendous amount of fun. I, I, I've actually really enjoyed it. I love talking about swimming, but it's absolutely my pleasure to be and and you know, to be able to be involved with um, and my privilege. I should also say to be in a position like I'm in to be able to help anyone because uh, you know we're all doing the same thing and trying to achieve the same goals and making athletes faster. So, mate, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you very much. I just want to be with you.